Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 214. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Do you want new promotions and free, low-cost marketing strategies to attract new customers? Go to restaurantpromo.net today and become unbeatable in your market. Again, that's restaurantpromo.net. Get on it. We have learned from so many of our past guests that to be successful, you need to systematize, automate, and leverage data in your restaurant. Well, with QSR Online, it's never been easier. Head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable to learn more. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Anthony Rudolph. Anthony, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Always. Every day. Never had a bad day. That's what I like to hear. Uh, In over 21 years of Anthony's career, he's been a student at the Culinary Institute of America, has been an assistant food and beverage outlets manager at the Doubletree Hotels, was a maitre d' for both Jean George's New York City and Per Se, was a general manager for Per Se, and then in 2011 was promoted to the director of operations for the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. Today, Anthony's passion project is Journey, whereby bringing people together, they hope to empower restaurant professionals to take control of their career and to change the way the industry evolves. They're doing this simply by providing access to knowledge and resources. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about what you're doing with Journey. I'm super excited to learn more. I think what you're doing is awesome. But before we hear your story and what you're up to, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra hit us. So I think um, success for one is a very personal thing be designed for yourself and so in that I also like diversity so I'm going to give you four around four different areas so one for action one for creativity one for confidence and one for gaining perspective oh man so when I find myself stuck in analysis or paralysis by analysis I go to Theodore Roosevelt and a quote that he said was in any moment of decision the best thing you can do is the right thing the next best is the wrong thing, and the worst thing you can do is nothing. Mm. And that always just kind of kicks my ass in gear to just stop thinking about it and just take action, get the ball rolling, and start moving, and then adapt from there. Absolutely. I love it. Secondly, for creativity, when I'm feeling stuck, um, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And it allows me to really sit still and realize that there really is no such thing as an original idea. So instead of sitting around trying to create one, Look at the world around you and find out what pieces you can take from the world and make them your own, which is really the stealing component of that is authenticity Mm -hmm. of like digesting it and making it your own. Confidence. There's nobody better to go to than Kanye West. (laughs) So whenever I need a little ego boost or a little confidence boost, I actually have um, a banner hanging in my office whenever I need this. It says, my life's dope and I do dope shit. (laughs) which just allows me to get into that Kanye place of like, we got this. I can do this. We're all good. I like that. (laughs) And then perspective comes from a mantra that I never really fully understood, 
um, which is the early bird gets the worm. Mm. Because it's really a matter of perspective. Because in the alternate perspective, the early worm gets eaten. So sometimes you're the worm and sometimes you're the bird. And really understanding where you are and what perspective you're sitting in, mm -hmm. you know, really goes back to Stephen Covey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is his fifth habit, which is seek first to understand and then to be understood. I love it. Um, and so sometimes you don't, sometimes you want to be the late worm that shows up to maybe the carnage of all of your friends, <laughs> but full birds and you get to live another day. Awesome. We hit the jackpot today with success quotes and mantras, man. This is off to a great start. Uh, I love all of them. Um, and, you know, just that first one on action, so true. And I think so often people never evolve or grow as individuals uh, just because they don't do anything at all. They just think about what they want to do, but they never pull the trigger. They never take a risk, and they're always just sitting fat, dumb, and happy uh, in whatever job they have because they're afraid to just take that le leap and to grow personally, whether it's getting the next job promotion or whatever it is. Like, take that risk. Do something. Um, and I think that's just a great way to start off. But all awesome quotes. Uh, man, this is going to be a great interview. I'm so pumped. Um, so let's learn more about you. Um, I kind of gave the listeners a quick aerial view of the titles you've had, the restaurants you've worked in. Uh, how did you get into the industry? Like, when did you know that this was going to be your career? So I was actually kind of pushed into it um, in junior high. I was a horrible student. Mm -hmm. I hated school. I don't do well with authority. And I love to manipulate systems. Mm. And so school, naturally, is a, a great place to do all three <laughs> of those things. And so I manipulated junior high so well that my counselor in ninth grade essentially pulled me into his office and was like, look, school's not for you. Um, I really wouldn't think about college. You go to tech school, which mm -hmm. was available at my high school, so I could go half a day to high school, half a day to tech school. He's like, pick, pick a craft auto mechanic, carpentry, cooking. You'll always have a job. You'll always be employable. People always need houses. People always need food. And people always need their car service. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, forget the traditional career path. And I said, okay, I can get out of school for half a day. That sounds cool. Um, and I like working with my hands. And I was working as a dishwasher at the time in a couple of local places. Mm -hmm. And so I picked cooking. And thankfully for me, that's how I entered the industry. And I found a teacher there, Mike McComb, who really lit a fire under me and was realized that, that this could be turned into something much bigger than just a job. Was that at Middle Bucks Institute of Technology where you met this professor? Yeah, sure was. Okay. Awesome. And then uh, did they push you to the Culinary Institute of America? Like, what made you take that next step to continue your education? Yeah, Mike was a graduate in the early 80s, 81 or 82, um, and he said, if there's anywhere you're going to go, you got to go here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I applied, and I actually manipulated the <laughs> high school system so well that I didn't have enough math credits to get into the Culinary Institute of America. And so I had to take a preliminary math test, which was, like, crazy to me that I couldn't get into the CIA because of a math credit. <laughs> so, um, But I did. Tell me what, what that experience was like, being at the Culinary Institute of America. How did that, that influence you and steer your career? Well, I think I think the any of the technical schools or the trade schools, the CIA, obviously, um, alumni of uh, the FCI, um, ICC, all of these schools, Johnson and Wales, and even Cornell. You know, I think what they offer more than anything for a craft like ours is a broad exposure to 
many different ideas, concepts, and things that you may like in a very broad foundation of yeah. understanding. Okay. Um, I don't think you become a master of anything getting out of these. Um, and if you have that perception going into it or coming out of it, you're mistaken that you can just be a manager or start running places when mm -hmm. you graduate. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I think they take 10 years of life experience if you were to go out and find all these different jobs and change jobs every year mm -hmm. and condense it into a shorter program so mm -hmm. that you can make smarter, smarter decisions. Okay. And it's just a really intensive, immersive, hand-holding environment where you can kind of suss out and figure out who you are and what you want to do. Got it. So it expedites the process. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so you kind of have a cool story where you ended up at Jean Georges chasing a girl, correct? Like you, that was like a career decision. Uh, you were you were chasing a girl, and you left from Philadelphia to New York City. So tell us about that and how, by chance, you landed this uh, great opportunity to grow your career. Yeah, I think the career the career aspect of it was that I wasn't really happy working in a hotel, mm -hmm. um, and not because of not great working environments. It certainly was, but I like the spotlight, mm -hmm. and a restaurant in a hotel will always be second to the rooms mm -hmm. because the rooms make more money. Mm -hmm. And so um, I didn't love it, and my ex-girlfriend, who we dated in college, was uh, working at John George as a pastry cook. Mm -hmm. And I would go up and visit her and go up and visit her, and um, there was a strong desire to get back together with her. Mm -hmm. And so I, I interviewed, and I got offered a front waiter position, which was the starting position in the dining room at Sean George, mm -hmm. and I took it. And ultimately, I, I didn't know anything about Sean George. I didn't know anything about fine dining. I didn't know anything about the New York City dining scene. But I knew that she worked there, and I knew mm -hmm. that if I worked there, my chances of success <laughs> with her would be greater. <laughs> awesome. You, yeah, and I guess I, I think I remember reading that you commuted from Philadelphia to New York for three months. I did for three months because wow. I... My, my roommate couldn't move up until December. I started working there um, at the very beginning of October, and then we ended up moving in December 29th, December 28th, 2002. Mm -hmm. So for three months, I was on a train in a car and staying at a Howard Johnson's up here in New York, and essentially just whatever paycheck I made went into hotels, cars, and trains. Awesome. So uh, it looks like it was around 2000, uh, I would say 2006, where you really decided to make the commitment, maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, to uh, really pursuing a career in front of house uh, because you took another major D job. You, you, you know, the ex to, to tell the story, like you you were working as a server, then you got promoted to major D, a service director, and then you were a major D um, for per se. I hate to fast forward on you, but like, what at what point did you just commit to a front of house um, career? Because you went to school for culinary, or were you focusing on, on front of house while you're at the CIA? So I, I went to the culinary institute to become a chef. Okay, and that's what I that's what I wanted to do. But my very first dining room class it's called it was called Stage. Okay, where it's your very first waiter class, and you wait on the bachelor students for their lunch, and it's very much like it. a banquet style like okay. format. And that was the class where I fell in love with the dining room and changed my career and actually started working locally at school as a waiter to kind of get the basic skills. I was a busboy at a little Italian restaurant. Um, and it was really in that class that I said, like, I really love this. I love the vulnerability of being out in the dining room. Like, you're exposed. You're constantly on a tightrope, like, trying to escape embarrassment of dropping mm. plates or smashing shit at any moment. <laughs> and then just, like, this human connectedness. Yeah. Um, by nature, I'm an introvert, so 
um, really tackling kind of my one of my biggest personality traits yeah. while at work or in a public forum was what I was really drawn to. Yeah. But, you know, introverts are so good at just listening and connecting with people sometimes. I think sometimes, you know, people assume that extroverts make the best servers, but really at the end of the day it's about serving and listening and actually caring about your guests. And I think an introvert is more uh, – susceptible to those traits what do you think you know i've never been an extrovert so i have no idea what it's like <laughs> to be one um but i know that for me when i'm comfortable i can really be myself yeah and i've always been really comfortable in a dining room i've always been really comfortable in a restaurant now you put me at a cocktail party um i'm the guy in the corner who's like super quiet and just can't wait to get out of there yeah um maybe keeps my coat and always keeps a, door, a foot like close to the door but you put me in a dining room and I'm just really comfortable because awesome. I can be myself and I can disconnect. Now, looking at this timeline, and I love culinaryagents.com, by the way, because they've made my research so easy. There's this timeline of everything you've done I can just look at. It looks like you were super intentional. Like You didn't really spend more than a few years, maybe four years at a time at your roles. I mean, talk to us about your career path and how... Was it intentional that the moves you were making to grow personally? Like, Did you know what your end game was going to be, where you wanted to be? Not, not from like a role perspective. I didn't know what the end game was yeah. going to be. I don't, I don't think you can really control that. There's too many factors involved. Yeah. And I think as you learn new things, you gain new experiences and you gain new perspectives as to what's possible. And so, you know, by forecasting too far out, you're actually limiting your future based off of what you currently understand to be true. Mm-hmm. I just knew that for me, what was really important is that I needed to go to work every day excited, loving what I do, mm-hmm. and loving the people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got that at John George. Awesome. And I spent 40, 40 years with him. And, um, you know, ultimately, um, I was there for four years. We had just received a four-star review from the New York Times. Michelin just came to New York and we got three-star Michelin. And John George's brother, Philippe, is the general manager. Yeah. Um, and so I had hit a ceiling. And I also thought that I... I I accomplished the majority of what I wanted to accomplish in each of my roles there. Mm-hmm. And for me, the other thing professionally is rather than forecasting out, being aware of where you stand in your life cycle mm-hmm. of accomplishment. And I think sometimes people stay too long and Absolutely. Uh, people linger. And what happens is you go on a decline yeah. and a personal decline is the worst place to build from because you have no momentum. Yes. And so I, I, I always want to leave on top. And so I felt like I was performing. I felt like I was doing the best work. And But I recognized that within six months down the road, I would potentially become fatigued or just just have not a lot to contribute. And I wanted to make sure that I left on top. Yeah, I just recently finished a book called Built, for, or Built to Lead. And in that book, one of the chapters talks about how there's no in-between. You're either growing or you're getting worse. There's no in between. And in this industry, when you hit that point where you've, you know, learned all you can learn or where you don't feel like you're learning anymore at a particular, uh, you know, job title or location or just roll out a restaurant, you've got to push yourself to constantly, you know, just grow. Because if you get comfortable, you're you're not going to just grow as a professional. And I, I see that looking at your timeline, how you didn't – get too comfortable you you're always pushing to grow and i think that's just a lesson we can all take away yeah and especially when you're in the position of hiring people you know i think the idea of experts is overrated Mm -hmm. in that i I, for me it's about drive Mm -hmm. i want somebody who's close enough to knowing that they can taste it Mm. but they don't know enough where 
it's going to keep them from staying up at night asking the questions or pushing themselves further to find out new answers. Like that's where creativity comes from. Mm -hmm. From somebody who's just slightly underqualified mm -hmm. um, on paper, but yet has the drive to be qualified, and they're the ones that are really going to, to push. Yeah. You know, and I always I, I was lucky enough to find myself in that career at you know each step in my career, and then also have mentors that could recognize that in me and you know, provide the opportunity to take the next step. Um, so let's fast forward. I want to leave some time for uh, the other questions. I just, but first I just want you to tell us quickly about, um, your, your current project journey, why you started that and your mission behind that real quick. Yeah. So, so, so first what I decided or what I realized as I grew throughout my career was what my personal mission was. Like, why do I exist in this world mm -hmm. and why, why did I choose the career that I chose? And so I fully define my mission in life is to really give, people, guidance, and support along the path to living their dreams. That's what I love coming in every day, um, was finding the staff and helping them achieve their goals in life and helping them achieve their mission, which was mm -hmm. a great role to be a manager because you can really, you really have the platform to be able to do that. And so Journey is a natural extension of that. As is the Welcome Conference, which I do with Will Gadera, you know, it's really a forum where people can find resources to be empowered to live their dreams, um, oh, which awesome man. You know, I, I think I think life and the world. You know, as a young kid, they push you like do what you love, do what you love, do what you love. But mm -hmm. then, when it really comes down to do what you love, I don't always find that the world's there to support you in doing that. You know, they kind of push you into the safe box of stability, not pushing to do. You know, things They're you love. So trying to I create really workers, not entrepreneurs. Like that's how I see it. Like every when we're going through and we're evolving as children, it's like society is trying to put us into the mold of like the fill jobs, but not really pushing to be entrepreneurs to be our own unique individuals. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a kid, you don't dream of safety. You dream yeah. of you dream of as a boy, you dream of firefighting and police officers and like all these like fun, <laughs> notable things, yeah. and then. You know, when it comes time to get actually into, like, the school system, you know, it's all about testing and SATs and then stability and career and what what opportunities provide you the most opportunity for income and yeah. the most stability for a family. And it's just like, you know, to me, that's not where magic happens. No. Awesome. And I'm so happy you shared uh, how Journey is your why. Uh, when I asked you what your mission with Journey was, it, you went directly to talking about why you do what you do. And you said it's to give people the guidance and to give them the ability to do what they love, to, to follow on their passions. And it's funny because of all the people I've interviewed, the one thing that most successful people have in common is, is their restaurants aren't about them. It's about helping other people uh, become the, the best they can be and growing as professionals and providing opportunity to others. I like to say you've got to be the means to the dreams of others. And that's what I hear you doing with Journey. That's your mission. Um, and you kind of already answered the why question, which was I was going to ask you next. But I want to share something um, from watching your TED Talk, something that really resonated with me. Do you mind if I share it? So uh, change comes from the smallest efforts, and when compounded, create massive movements, changing or changing the perspective and outlooks of other people. How much um, does that quote resonate with your why and impact what you're doing? You know, one, I've always really embraced change. Yeah, um, I, I, I thrive off of it. I love it. But sometimes, you know, I think change is often viewed at as like monumental shifts. Yeah. But change is really an everyday thing. 
and it really is it really is the drop in the bucket yeah over and over and over again that ultimately leads to it overfilling it's never like three gallons of water dumped instantaneously mm-hmm. in one massive shift it's like real movement starts with one, goes to two, goes to four, goes to eight, mm-hmm. goes to 16, goes to 32, goes to 64. Like that's how community gets built. Mm. And that's how change happens. Mm. Meaningful change, sustainable change. Um, not a one fell swoop. It's just not how shit really happens. Yeah. Listening to you talk, it reminds me of Danny Meyer's words of that constant gentle pressure of just always pushing, always, you know, one drop at a time, never shutting the faucet off, but just, you know, can continuously pushing for consistency or improvement no, I, think it's, I think i think it comes down to i mean i think change comes down to embracing change yeah no for you sure you know i think when you talk to most people about change and the number one question i always ask them is how do you emotionally react to it mm-hmm. what does change equal to you and a lot of times it's very negative emotions anxiety right it's it's fear mm-hmm. it's unknowing but you know, the idea that change is inevitable mm-hmm. is a real thing, right? That's change is inevitable. Oh, yeah. So if, if that's true and your reaction to change is a negative energy, then that negative emotion is inevitable. Mm. And so yeah. is, that, is that the way you really want to live life where anxiety is inevitable in your life mm-hmm. rather than embracing change and finding the, the strength in it and then going with it to then have positivity or creativity or all of these other things that can come from change also being inevitable. Mm-hmm. Man, this is great stuff. Uh, I could talk all day, but we have to move on to uh, your it factors. And I've already written down a few little things that I've just, from listening to you talk, that are just shining through as potential it factors. But I'll let you hit us first. So what would you say your it factors, your habits, your characteristics, your uh personal traits, things that you do that contribute to your success, what what would they be? So I think three things. One of them is loving change. Mm -hmm. I love it. I thrive on it. I like to create it. I like healthy drama. Um, I think healthy drama coming from change pushes people to think. It breaks the status quo. It doesn't allow people to settle. Like Change forces new solutions. Mm -hmm. So I love change. I think that's something that's been really impactful for me throughout Mm -hmm. my career. It's really diving in and embracing it. Um, awareness would be another factor. Like I'm really super aware, and maybe that's part of the introvert of rather than just like sitting in the corner and like observing. When you say awareness, what's happening. Are, you looking, are you talking about physical things or like emotional things? What are you aware of? All of it. I mean, certainly it very much started externally for me. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been for the last three, four years that I've actually become deeply emotional aware mm-hmm. of myself and what I go through, and I've just put a lot of effort into that. But through the early stages of my career, you know, you have the opportunity to work around. I had the opportunity to work around a lot of great people. And so just watching Jean George work and how he moved and being aware and then going back to good artist part of great artist steel, mm. like being able to see what made him great, being aware of what he was actually doing, and then figuring out a way how to steal that stuff to make it my own, and then also leave any of the bad stuff from the people around me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really being aware of what's happening around you. Sometimes in restaurants, you know, we get so narrowly focused on the one single thing, like the oh, idea yeah. of a water a water glass being filled is like for a dining room <laughs> professional. It's like, is that really the most impactful thing that you should be focusing on? Yeah. But really, like, being aware of what's happening around you, whether it be on the subway or your commute to work or in a shopping mall or wherever you are, just really 
and I think a waiter trains you to be mm-hmm. very aware because you're constantly eavesdropping, you're constantly listening, you're really trying to understand what's happening around you, and I find myself doing that, you know, all throughout me, my life. Me too. I, I can't go into a group of people, be somewhere, and I hope it's not just me, but I'm always listening to conversations, looking for my opportunity to, like, jump into the conversation to find something that, you know, connects me to somebody, an interest or a topic or something. Uh, Sometimes I think maybe it's bad, uh, but I'm happy to hear you say that you do it too. Hey, look, we all live together. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's 7 billion of us and going back to, I mean, going back to the mantra is like seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think you really need to know what's happening around you even before you can just like interject and then, you know, have, have, yeah. have something to say. For sure. So what are some of the other if factors? So far you've uh, said embracing change, uh, being aware. What are some of the other things you think contribute to your success? I, I think the other is patience. I never allow time to be a factor in my decision-making, mm-hmm. meaning that, like, I think there's a lot of pressure today, especially for the early 20-somethings, to be super successful mm-hmm. really, really fast. You know, in our industry, I think it's television that's you know yep. that's, that's had an impact on that. That you can that you can go on a show, become a, a winner of a show, and then you know be really super successful. Mm-hmm. But then also the tech industry, like the highlight of all of these twenty-something billionaires, mm-hmm. um, when really there's only less than a handful of them, um, and the success rate is much lower across the majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so much pressure now to, to be successful early when that wasn't the case, you know, 30, 40 years ago in the previous generation when success came in your 50s and 60s mm. and you built up and, you you know, the idea of climbing a ladder to yeah. actually get there where now you feel like you need to be trusted upon it. And so for me, I never allowed time to play a role in that, but I needed to be a general manager. I needed to own my own business by any of these ages. It was really based around having the proper skill set in place, mm-hmm. which allowed me to be patient. Right? I knew it would take me time to develop leadership skills to where I could own my own business or um, just be accountable to my own actions. I needed maturity. There was yeah. no way I would do that when I was 24 years old. And it, it um, definitely doesn't happen overnight. And I think when you're patient and you just show up every day and you just continue to chip away, you learn so much more about yourself too, and your why, and like, like, like your why, for example, of just being about others and helping others and being there to bring the abilities of, of others out. Like, you probably didn't realize that when you were, you know, two thousand three or two thousand four, two thousand five, when you just started becoming a manager or a major D. Did you? No, it wasn't until it wasn't until I had the opportunity to become the director of operations. Yeah. It was 2011 because I didn't want the role. Mm. You know, it's not compelling to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really compelling to me to really get off of the floor, get out of the, the, the day-to-day and oversee three very different operations. Mm-hmm. And ultimately there you have, you know, three general managers reporting to you and then that's your team. Um, but I realized it really forced me to think about what my mission was, and I realized that I could have an impact over 350 people and their dreams by the nature of this role, employing that many people in New York City. Yeah. Hey, you, you're breaking up a little. Did you move your location in the house? Are you, like, I just yeah. don't want... Sorry. What's that? 
Yeah, just I don't want you. You're you know you're doing such a great job. I'd hate to have uh, the listeners not be able to hear what you're saying. Is this better? Yeah, it is better. Say some more. Test tester. Is that better? Test test test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're loud and clear now. Cool. Thanks. Sorry to interrupt okay. you with that. So no, that's fine. Awesome stuff. Uh, so far, like I said, we have the uh, embracing change awareness. You just mentioned uh, patience. Is there anything else you want to mention before we move on? No, those are the three key for me. And I'm I'm gonna just throw one in there just from listening to you talk, uh, watching your TED talks. Uh, one thing that really stuck out to me about you is your authenticity um, in just being a good person. And I think that is just something that's so important, especially in the hospitality industry, just being a good person uh, and really just genuinely authentic, uh, authentically wanting to do right by others. And I want to quote you one more time and get some feedback from you. Um, the right restaurant doesn't make you a good waiter or waitress. It makes you a good person that above all puts other people first, other people's needs first. Talk to me about that and how important that is to the success in this industry? So I, I think you ask a lot of people why they're in this profession mm-hmm. and they say they want to make people happy. Yeah. But I think that the role of a restaurant goes deeper than that. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, to me, it goes down to two things. It gets boiled down to the dining room team nurtures. Yeah. And the culinary team nourishes. And when you get down to those two very basic human elements of nurturing through emotions, through care, through warmth, through sincerity, and then nourishing through like wholesome food and really nourishing the actual cells of your body, um, what we do is very noble. Mm -hmm. And when you can really connect to that and get out of like the current sex and drive and how much fun and this lifestyle and celebrityness, like when you get down to what the role of what this restaurant is, what a restaurant is in society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really an honorable craft. And I think honoring that is you need to be true to yourself. I never agreed that we're actors on stage and each night's a new performance. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we acting? Yes. Why aren't we just like genuinely taking care of people? Actors are, are actually playing different roles. Yes. That's the role of an actor is to get outside of themselves and into somebody else. But to actually provide care, if somebody was to come over to your house, you would be you would want to be yourself because mm-hmm. you're in your home and you're comfortable and the very nature of that would make them comfortable. Absolutely. And so it really comes down to figuring out and doing the work on yourself first. Mm. Right? Like who am I and what do I stand for and who do I want to be? Absolutely. And I mean to quote you one more time, it's not what you do, it's who you are. And when uh, when I first started this podcast, I was asking questions like ambiance and what are the things that make restaurants successful. As I evolve, as I learn more, this podcast has slowly evolved into a personal growth podcast because it's about who you are and what you become because your restaurant is an extension of who you are and what you're doing, which is slowly what I've been coming to learn. I think you're just another shining example of that. And I had to point out that, that you're just a good person and you're authentically a good person. Uh, thoughtful, uh, caring, all those things, humility, you just shine through uh, doing my research on you. Worth pointing out, for sure. Um, Thank you. No problem. So we got to get a failure now, Anthony. we got to talk about time. Uh, I mean, you have such a great career of, of successes, but when was a time, one example, where you just fell hard on your ass? <laughs> and tell me how you got back up and what you learned from that failure. 
Yeah, so, this, so I think this is also the largest growth in my authenticity and like really figuring out who I was. Um, <laughs> I think my biggest failure was throughout the very early part of my career and not embracing and understanding that I was an addict, that I was an alcoholic mm. and that I wasn't true to myself and I wasn't aware of who I was and I allowed you know, my lifestyle to very much dictate behavior and everything that stemmed from me. Mm. Um, and so... Um, gosh, I guess it all came to a head in 2005 okay. um, when I got a DUI mm. and um, spent a night in jail and it, it, it really impacted my life it impacted my relationship with my wife mm. or she was my, my girlfriend at the time but um, now my wife we've been together for 13 years and you got a baby on oh, the way which is worth about to have a baby <laughs> any day now oh man it's exciting to do tomorrow oh man and so it was really hitting rock bottom in that very personal way of spinning out of control with an addiction to then really force myself into the really, really deep places and dark places. Mm -hmm. And it was April 24th, 2006, that I just decided to quit. Mm -hmm. And I have been sober ever since, so it'll be wow. 10 years uh, this April. No, I mean, that's a really good topic to bring up because th that temptation, uh, this industry, it's so easy to get sucked into that temptation, uh, constantly being around it, having access to it 24-7. Uh, I mean, this is something that I, I'm sure plenty of people in our industry struggle with. So what's your advice? Uh, I mean, what what would you say to that person who's listening right now that might be thinking to themselves, like, crap, maybe I'm, like, am I, like, denying it? Like, what... What advice do you have for that person? Well, you know, there's a couple of things at play here. One, we choose this industry a lot of the times because we have those personality traits. Mm -hmm. right? there, this is a very high-risk, low-reward environment. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of financial gain. There's not a lot of time gain. I mean, there's a lot of odds against you, and mm -hmm. the, the, the odds of becoming you know, really uber successful in this industry are very small. Mm. So by nature of picking something that's high risk, low reward as a profession, mm -hmm. already embeds a little bit of to her personality traits. Um, secondly, I think ingrained in our culture of a profession stemming from the military, going to the brigade system, and then having that mentality all the way through that vulnerability is viewed as a weakness, not as a strength. Mm. Um, and so... If there is, is any inkling of anything, just I think you know the first step is really just asking for help, mm -hmm. which by nature of our profession is really the hardest thing, whether you view yourself as a service professional who always takes care of people, therefore mm. you don't have a place to ask for anything, so, or in the culinary environment, like going through a brigade system where you know vulnerability does not equal. Who strength. did you ask? Where did you go to get help? I didn't. I got a DUI, and I had to go and do through all the programs. And I went to a, a Stop DWI program, yeah. and this guy, Angel Velez, just beat it into my head that I was an alcoholic. And, mm. he, you know, he just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. And finally I said, you know what, maybe this guy's got a point. Nothing good comes out of it. Nothing good ever certainly happens at 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And, you know, there's a point here. And I had a choice that I could give up on everything else that I had in my life. Um, and I saw that road play out, or I could, you know, give up this one thing that I thought made me who I was or was endearing part of me. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't ask for help. It was forced onto me. Mm -hmm. um, now, you said this was 2005 when this happened, right? 
Yeah. And I just want to point something out. Uh, January 2005, you were a director, service director uh, at John George. So you maybe, I don't know if there's a tipping point here, but it seems like after that, you know, the time you, just, you chose to quit drinking and be, become sober, that's when your career really seems like it started to take off. You became the maitre d' of per se. Uh, you were a general manager of per se. And these all these things started happening in much shorter times, like two to three years. It uh, looks like you really just started to get focus. And do you think, how is your life different now because of your decision to, to, to quit? Like, how are you better because of it now? My entire lifestyle changed. Um, you know, my, my the biggest impact was my relationship with my wife. Mm. And really being there for her. There already wasn't enough time committed to her, right, because I committed so much to my work and my career. Mm-hmm. Um and then the time that I did commit to her, I was either hungover or, you know, we were at a bar and she doesn't drink. So mm. it was very much revolved around that habit in my mm. life or that addiction. And so um, that was the biggest change. And, you know, I think once you're on solid footing with yourself and then your most intimate relationships, you know, your career can certainly flourish and grow. These are all things that ultimately hold you back mm-hmm. because your whole life needs to be in harmony. Anthony, you've crushed the first half of this interview. Uh, we're taking a little bit longer than usual, but I just don't want to stop you because you're just on a roll. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Looking to increase sales in your restaurant? There's only three ways to make that happen. Attract new customers, increase check averages, and increase the frequency your customers visit. RestaurantPromo.net gives you free case studies, strategies, and how-to guides to do all of the above. RestaurantPromo.net is your go-to place to get ahead in business and in life. Again, that's RestaurantPromo.net. Get on it. Systematizing and managing your restaurant can be difficult. Between service providers, software, and people you employ, you can find yourself and these processes spread all over the place. What if you could bring all these systems and processes to one place where you could easily manage and automate it all? Well, now you can with QSR Online. For over a decade now, QSR Online has been helping restaurants minimize their costs and gain time back in their lives. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. All right, we are back, and you're going to drop some bombs of knowledge on us. I cannot wait. The first question I have for you, Anthony, what advice do you have for funding a restaurant? You've worked with some great people. Maybe uh, just through that experience, you can show us what we should be doing to get that initial capital. So I think the hardest part of funding is recognizing that you have the power also to say no, even if the person says yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think too often, you know, we put ourselves, anybody who's trying to raise money, put yourself in a position of like asking, 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 asking for money. And then when somebody says yes, there's this instant validation of like, oh my God, I got a yes. Yeah. Is that person really the right person? So important. And you're getting married to this person, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, hopefully you're going to have to make a bigger decision down the road than just the initial investment, whether it be expansion or more money or what to do with all the money. And also you may have to make some really shitty decisions Mm -hmm. with them and I think too often and I've made these mistakes as well is that you know we get so looped into getting the yes around the funds that we don't actually think like do we actually want this person's money do I want this person in my life Mm -hmm. 10 years from now and recognizing that you have the power also to say no if you don't think that person 
is the right person. There's a lot of money out there. It may yeah. mean you have to grind longer. It may mean you have to get creative and do some different things. But, um, you know, too often we give up the power and just say yes. Yeah, and just to extend on what you're saying, take that time to find out who you are too because if it's so important that you're finding out, you know, you have to accept the money from the right people that they're aligned with your core values and your your vision and all these things that we just don't often take enough time to really write down and commit to writing. I mean, do some soul searching. What are your core values? What's important to you? So when it does come time to say yes, does this person align with what I'm all about? And when you take the time to do that, your decision, the yes or no, must be, I'm assuming it would be way easier. What do you think? Yeah, and you're going to get a lot more yeses because mm-hmm. you'll be able to connect with the person that you both share the same vision for, mm-hmm. the same the same mission on, and you'll be able to connect on a much deeper level than just, hey, does your pro forma look good? Can mm-hmm. I make money off of this? But really, do we believe the same things, and are we going to make the same choices? And a lot of investors, especially in restaurants, bet on the lifestyle more so than money, and they bet on a horse, mm-hmm. you know, and they got to be able to connect and believe in that person. Awesome stuff, yeah. So the next question I have for you is on the topic of working with people. Like This is such a people-dependent, people-focused business. So what's your advice on either hiring, managing, or retaining people? So if all goes back, I think what you just talked about, too, is finding out what your personal mission is in life. Mm-hmm. Like that's the first step. Mm-hmm. Like, and am I living that? Am I excited to wake up every day? Am I excited to go to work every day? Do mm-hmm. I love what I'm building? Do I love what I'm designing for myself? Yes. That's first, and that needs to be a yes all the time. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I hire people who believe in the same things. I don't. I hire believers. I don't hire employers, awesome. employees. All right. So I want people that are going to believe in the same vision, because then it doesn't really matter what their skill set is necessarily. If they believe what I believe, mm-hmm. they're going to do the work. They're going to be with me through thick and thin. They're going to take the roller coaster ride. They're mm-hmm. not going to have an eye out. They're going to be believing in a sense of purpose mm. rather than employment. And employment only goes so far. Right? Mm-hmm. You can always make a buck somewhere else more. Exactly. The grass is always greener on the other side. Yep. So like, Are you willing to water your lawn? Give me an example of one thing that you did to act on this advice that you're giving. I ask people what they care about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's you know, first, I, you know, I, I think there's certainly a, a vetting of do they have adequate skills, mm-hmm. right, to, to be able to perform the role that you're hiring for. But then my questions um, are really rooted around what do they care about? What do they envision for themselves? Why do they do this? Mm-hmm. Do they have a mission statement? Have they thought about what they personally care about? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the first step, right, for them to have their own personal mission statement and then do those things aligned. So I focus heavily on those types of questions. Yeah. And then I also try and make it less daunting. I mean, that same idea with the investor in raising funds and yourself is that, you know, too often in interviews, it's often like the employer has all the power and all the control, but really it's 50-50. Mm-hmm. Both can say yes or no at any moment. Yeah, you know, and I would argue right now that the interviewee has the control. This is, uh, this this market is behind the the employee right now. There are so many people looking for good employees. It's really competitive out there, and you need to know that you can literally almost handpick the restaurant you want to work for because people are looking for passionate, talented uh, workers, uh, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think so. But if anybody hires somebody because they need somebody and it's a no, yeah, like I don't really want to hire this somebody, but I need a body. You've just diluted your culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if you've 
take a job because you have to pick of the litter, but it's, you know, it's a yes when it really should be a no because it's the most whatever, but it doesn't align with your mission. You've just diluted your life. Mm. So even regardless of the environment, you know, it really is a 50-50 yes or no. You know, and, and it, I always need to qualify this, that this isn't about somebody who needs to make a paycheck to pay the bills to sustain a family and to put food on the table. Yeah. Like that's entirely indifferent. That's a entirely different conversation. That conversation is like, you need to make money, you need a paycheck, you need to do what you need to do, yep. period. These are for people who are you know, designing their careers and wanting to make a lifestyle and don't have to make decisions based off of feeding another human or themselves. Yes. Awesome. Um, but in that, you know, does this person do that? So what I do in interviews is I try and make it as comfortable as possible. You know, I hate barriers between us. I hate sitting across from a table. It's a power play. Um, I prefer I'd rather take them out for breakfast. Yeah. You know, and, and actually have a meal together and how do they act and how do they perform and are they comfortable? Are they mm -hmm. themselves? Are yeah. they giving me standard boilerplate answers? Like all <laughs> that stuff. Like are you being authentic? Yeah, this is all such terrific advice and I'm really trying to uh, display some self-discipline here because I just want to keep on going on this topic, but I don't want, I want to respect your time. We're already at 45 minutes. We've got to go on to the next question. If you want to learn more, just go to journey.com or my journey. Uh, or is it your journey? I'm sorry. Your journey. Your, .com. your yes. journey .com or <laughs> send me, send me an email at Anthony at your journey .com yeah. and I'm happy to awesome. talk and answer any questions. Beautiful. Great stuff. So the next question, uh, what are some current changes in the industry that you're experiencing or you're seeing and how, what is your advice for uh, us to uh, be ready for those changes? Um, the biggest one will always be labor. Mm-hmm will always be labor in the labor pool mm -hmm. um, and it's certainly over the next I think the next five years it's going to be really challenging um, but it's something we did to ourselves mm -hmm. over the last decade the boom of the industry you know we hired people who weren't ready and put them in leadership positions and then ultimately they were leaders to save 30 people and they taught them the wrong way then those 30 people went out and became leaders and then they led people the wrong way so we had this massive dilution of quality leadership and so now what we're seeing, I, I don't think is so much a product of a lack of labor at the hourly employee, which I do think exists, but it's also a lack of compelling leadership um, mm. to be able to manage and train and, and, and write the ship. Mm -hmm. And so I think for the next five, maybe 10 years, there's gonna be um, some real challenges around labor because of how quickly our industry grew you know, over the last 15 years. So real quick, what are some of the things our listeners can do uh, to prepare for this uh, challenge, this labor challenge? What can we do personally so we're not going to be as much of a victim five years from now? Uh, stop the stop the dilution is the first. Let's, let's fix the problem, which means, you know, going internal for your training system, not putting a warm body in place when you're short, um, putting a priority on culture, Mm -hmm. And, you know, really harnessing the strong people that you have and supporting the strong people that you have. But it's not a quick turnaround. It's not, you know, you can't build culture overnight and you can't um, train people overnight. You know, it's a, it's a craft. So it's years of process and learning. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think people try to cut corners way too often and really just don't give that uh, – attention to the training and to the long-term, uh, the, the long outlook of their company. Um, awesome stuff. Uh, the next question I have for you is on the topic of how do you 
balance work and life? I don't. <laughs> All right, so what can we do to, uh, I guess, survive and stay sane if we are not balancing it? Stop balancing it. It's not, you know, I mean, by nature of this whole idea of work-life balance, you're pitting these things against each other. So you're creating this internal conflict mm-hmm. between your work and your life. Why isn't work part of life? Mm. Why isn't it just life balance? Absolutely. So just, just the nature of the idea of creating work-life balance is something that's also already, like, already always bothered me and kind of pissed me off of like, well, why isn't work life and why are they separate and why am I creating this internal teeter-totter of conflict within myself that I need to feel guilty when I'm at work about life and I need to feel guilty about life when I'm at work. And, you know, aren't they just one? Mm. And so it's really about creating harmony within your life and are you being accountable and honest to all the areas of it? So how do we do that? How do we create that harmony? I mean, I was guilty with my wife of telling her that she was my number one priority mm-hmm. and working 80 hours a week. Yeah. I was a liar. <laughs> so I, I was a liar. So what, you did know, you, but, what did you do? Did you just become uh, honest and say that work is your number one priority? Or what What are you suggesting? Like, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to make sure I'm getting No, clear. it's fine. Yeah, no, I think, I think truth Right and actually being honest mm-hmm. with what your situation is. And look, it's okay if, if work and your career is your number one priority. Mm-hmm. But maybe you don't want to find a partner who doesn't want, who, who won't be a part of that ecosystem. Mm. You know, and so you actually have to make a choice there. Um, for me, like I was very selfish in that regard. Like I wanted, I wanted work and I wanted her because I loved her. And but I didn't, I wasn't ready to yield to the life that she wanted. Mm-hmm. And you know, ultimately for me, and I think a lot of this came out in 2006, was also saying, okay, like I, I do, I really do want her to be a bigger priority, mm-hmm. but I'm not taking any action, so I need to take action on it. Yeah, and now is and, my journey or your journey uh, a part of yourjourney.com? Is that a part of you changing your lifestyle to be able to take action to free up time to, so you can focus on your life? It certainly is. I mean, I, I get to design it, right? I'm in control, so I can design the hours. I can design my effort. I can design the timeline in which it's successful or awesome. our markers of success um, so that I can be with her and my soon-to-be baby girl. But it started back, you know, when I was a GM and then the director of operations at mm-hmm. Per Se, where a lot of times, you know, the choice was I wanted to be there at 9 o'clock in the morning to see the doors open, and I wanted to be there at three, 2 o'clock in the morning to see the doors close. Yeah, and that was purely my own control freak. Yeah, so and what, I realized in that I wasn't doing myself any favors, I wasn't doing my wife any favors, and I wasn't living my mission of helping my managers fulfill their dreams because I was micromanaging everything. Yeah. So what are you? How are you different now? What are you doing now that's different to not uh, to be able to spend time with your wife and or not now? I guess because you're you're focuses on journey but then when you started to make the transition what were the things that you were doing differently to create time for your your wife i i I, well at work i i I chose what it was that was really important to me Mm -hmm. and how i was going to spend my time Mm -hmm. and then delegated the rest ah that's the word i was hoping you'd say so important um any advice quick advice on delegation before we move on just do it (laughs) <laughs> Just start doing it. Are there any resources? There's no, there's no good of? way to do it. Practice. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Really. Great. Just like just give somebody a task. See if you do it. Allow them to fail. Mm-hmm. Don't think you'll always do it better. 
allow them to go through their own process you, of learning and growing. You might be surprised. They might do it 10 times better. That's the other thing I don't think people realize that you're not the best at everything. And if you to be good in this industry, you have to see the strengths in others and put them in the right lane and let them take it 10 times further than you could have ever done it if you were doing it on your own. And delegation allows for that sometimes. Um, yeah, they might also totally mess it up and fail. That's okay. It's <laughs> your opportunity to teach them so exactly. they do it right the second time. Awesome. Great stuff. So the next question I have for you is on the topic of, you know, to revert back to, you already mentioned the seven habits of highly effective people, sharpening the sword and educating yourself. So what are some recommended books or resources out there to uh, recommend for my listeners to, to grow personally? Start With Why mm. by Simon Sinek. Awesome book. Why is that book so great? Because that all goes back to the mission statement. Like you need to define what your purpose is, mm-hmm. and the book just makes it so clear and so approachable um, around how to do that, and then how to live it, and then how to allow everything to be an extension of that purpose. Absolutely, and that book is the reason why I ask all my guests is why what do you do what is the purpose behind what you do and it's so important to know that and to make examples of others that's 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 what i'm doing with that question awesome book uh are there any other books you can recommend um for just general leadership philosophies like little kicks and uh, nuggets is um wooden mm-hmm. um so off coach wooden mm-hmm. and i think the exact title is a lifetime of observations on and off the court mm-hmm and that man is just filled with so much humility and so much wisdom. And it's this little tiny book, and there are little tiny paragraphs around themes and topics, and he just spews wisdom and beautiful framing nuggets of leadership. Awesome. Uh, both those books will be in the show notes. This is episode 214, so just head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 214. You'll find those links. And I have partnered with audible.com. Uh, you can get, I know Start With Why is on Audible, but you can get that book for free if you go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. And you will be supporting the show if you use that link. Uh, audible books are huge in my life. Do you use Audible books? I don't. I like to read them. Oh, yeah. Uh, me personally, I'm dyslexic, so <laughs> I love those audiobooks. Anyway, moving on. The next question I have for you is on the topic of technology and using technology as accelerators in your business. So, what are some of the, the technologies uh, you're seeing restaurants currently using uh, to really accelerate the, pro- you know, the processes and systems and procedures in restaurants? It's still really clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's not a ton of innovation in new technology happening. There's a lot of innovation in replacing kind of the old guards, whether it be the POS system or the renovation system, yeah. um, and upgrading those to modern day. But in terms of really managing the business effectively, um, you know, there, I, I, I don't see a ton really coming down the pipeline mm-hmm. of new business tools that free us time and energy to do what we strive to do, which is either cook the food or serve the people. Um, there's just a lot of embellishments. I think those are getting better, the POS systems yeah. and the reservation systems. And, you know, the old guards are having people nipping at their heels and forcing them to compete and forcing them to innovate. Yeah, well, what are some of the less new technologies that you implemented in, say, uh, per se, or in the Thomas Keller restaurants? I mean, I, I think the most powerful tool that we built um, was an intranet. Mm-hmm. And literally, we took a Squarespace um, version 5 site 
which allowed us to password protect at the time. Mm-hmm. And for like 16 bucks a month, built an entire intranet that served three purposes. It was to be inspirational, um, informational, and joint conversation. Uh-huh. And we would allow people to connect. So we'd post all of our schedules there. We'd post all our training manuals there. We'd, any new information, yeah. any new announcements would go up on this, and then it would push it to their phone like a blog would. And the entire organization would be able to communicate and know exactly what's happening on. If there was a promotion at Youngville mm-hmm. or in Vegas, everybody across the company would know about it with one post rather than, like, all of the outdated email lists. Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you say that because what I'm seeing a lot of people now using, doing something very similar to that, they're using Google Docs, um, and they're doing the same thing. They're, they have their, uh, like, you know, info at whateverrestaurant.com, and then attached to that, they have their Google Docs account where they can share and send files and uh, have everything in one spot, um, training manuals, all that stuff in one spot. And then for communication, they're using things like WhatsApp or other uh, free apps to communicate, uh, text messaging, group messaging. So there's a lot of tools out there, and it's much easier to do what you did, you know, three or four years ago. Like you don't have to build a whole website today to to do that. There's so many apps created to be able to do just that, and Google Docs is another one there. So awesome stuff. Um, all right, with all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time to say 2000, I don't know, 2002, when you're starting your professional career. Like, what advice would you give to yourself uh, if you could just give yourself one piece of advice to your former self? Stop drinking. The one, the number one thing that will happen in your life if you stop drinking. I have no idea, but I know nothing <laughs> came, came came good out of it during those four years. Awesome, great advice. Uh, what is one question I could have asked you, Anthony, that you think would have brought more value to this interview? I think we touched on it earlier, but I think understanding what the role of our profession or the role of a restaurant has in society. What is that um, role? Please just quickly uh, elaborate. Well, I think it truly is to nurture and to nourish. Mm-hmm. I think more and more we're being pushed and we're pushing ourselves to be more entertainment mm-hmm. as people seek this as experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly it, it has a role in it, but I think the for me the real nobility of what we do is to provide warmth, care, generosity, sincerity, authenticity, mm. and um, wholesome, nourishing, sustaining food for people. That's that's like that's our role, and I think the world has plenty of entertainment. Mm. I um, love it. it doesn't it doesn't have a lot of resources. And there's not a lot out there to really nourish and nurture who we are as people. You know, I have a lot of hope um, now with the ability to communicate and to pass information on, like, resources, books, uh, audible audiobooks, podcasts. I really hope that with, this, uh, you know, such ease of passing information along that there's a huge wave of people just changing why they do things. With the books like Start With Why and um, just knowing that you have that, that ability to change societies with your restaurants – I think there's a lot of people who are going to open restaurants for the right reasons in the near future. And it's in a really super exciting time. I think there's going to be a turn for the better, personally. We hope so. I mean, we're going to be launching a new series in April called At the Pass. Awesome. And it's very much a TED-style talk. We'll do it twice a month, an hour each day. And each month we're going to take on big themes, like what's the worst decision you ever made and how you overcame it. How do we solve family? How do we solve politics, diversity? Um, and really leverage some of the best in the industry to come and talk and present solutions 
and we're going to stream them all live on the website. Please tell um, me when that happens. I would love to help I you will. promote that. Uh, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> you've been awesome, Anthony. Uh, such a great interview. We've learned so much. We're all better after listening to you. We're going to wrap it up, and we do that by just calling out somebody you admire in this industry, somebody you believe would just make a great guest mentor like you have made for us today. I think there's two. Um, one in actual restaurant operations, Jeff Katz, mm-hmm. um, who works for the Battalion Bastianich Group. He's doing some really cool things. He's a, he's an innovator, and he's a great general manager, but also an innovator, and he's developing a product that I think is pretty cool. Um, so he's one. And then Adam Hyman, who is the founder of Code, which is an app that's currently in London that's going to be launching here, but essentially it's friends and family for restaurant professionals. So for restaurants that don't do discounts and don't do Groupons and those things, you can offer benefits and perks to restaurant professionals only. So you have to be vetted to be, to download the app, you actually have to be vetted. You have to prove that you're a restaurant professional. That's awesome. And then let's let's just say, um, you know, a a great restaurant in New York offers, um, you know, a wine pairing. If you show this code with your menu, um, you go in and you show that you have this code, and then you get this wine perk that is for restaurant professionals only. But what it really does is spark dialogue, and now you have the person say, well, where do you work? And you're connecting the restaurant mm. community by nature of getting them to community and then sharing experiences with them. That's awesome. That's really neat. Yeah. So Jeff Katz and Adam Heidman, did I say those correctly? Heidman, yeah. Awesome. Look out, Jeff and Adam. I'm coming after you. Would love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how they can connect with you. Uh, if they're interested in learning more about yourjourney.com, uh, where can they go to uh, find out that's a good resource for them? Give, give yourself one final plug. Uh, just go to yourjourney.com. Everything's there. Yeah. Or shoot me an email if you want to learn more at anthony at yourjourney.com. I'm happy to make time. Awesome. Again, this is episode 214. I'll have those links in the show notes. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 214. They'll be all right there. Anthony, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule. You're about to have a baby. I mean, you must be stressed out. Like, I'm so grateful to have you join me today. And uh, just thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Cheers. Anthony Rudolph, thank you so much for being a guest mentor today, taking the time out of this busy and exciting part of your life. You've got so much going on with the baby coming and you know, just managing and operating uh, yourjourney.com. I, I just know you're busy, and that's why I'm so grateful that you took this hour to, to make us all better, to be a guest mentor. And man, were you valuable. So many great lessons in this episode. Uh, some of the lessons that really stuck out to me was that lesson on just taking the next step in your career. Don't get too comfortable in one place in your career. You're either growing or you're going backwards. You're getting worse. There's no in between. There's no in between. And I think just seeing you in your career, Anthony, you're just a shining example of that. And then also, uh, why do you need to look at your life uh, in your career as two separate things? Uh, make your life better by finding uh, a parallel, or you know, looking at you're a restaurant that you're in as a, um, a, a mechanism or a vehicle for your passion to do what you love, to make your life and your career one of the same. I think that was another great lesson to take away from today's interview. I mean, those are just a couple of them. This interview was packed full of great 
invaluable lessons. Uh, awesome stuff. If you want more interviews like this, there's a few things you can do. You can support the show by just listening and spreading the word and telling other people about this free resource, this free melting pot of mentors. You're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. Now you can surround yourself with the best this industry has to offer as far as success goes. Like It's just a click away. Uh, give me a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Those ratings and reviews go so far with getting the show recognized, and uh, that really helps. That, that social proof helps. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. That's Eric with a C. I'm always looking to connect with my guests. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what you like. Tell me who you think I should have as a guest. Uh, tell me what you're struggling with. What's your biggest pain point? I'll have an expert come on the show uh, to learn, you know, to teach us so we can learn together. Uh, but it all starts with you guys engaging me and using me as a resource. I'm here for you. Don't forget that. And then uh, use my links. If there's a product or a service uh, that you want to take advantage of that you want to learn more about use my links tell whoever the the service provider is that you heard about this tool through restaurant unstoppable they may give me a kickback and that all goes towards just covering the expenses uh that it takes to operate this podcast so those are the things you can do thank you so much for joining me today always a blast always just a great lesson around the corner uh And I I can't do it without your support. So thanks again. All right, guys. Until next time, peace out.